Glad to have each one of you here this evening. I know there's plenty of things on our plates that we could be doing, a lot of things that, uh, uh, that uh, take a lot of things out of our lives, a lot of time out of our lives that we could be doing. So I appreciate very much you being here. Seems like we've got a little ring. Is that uh, just my hearing aids, Tom? Maybe, all right. If it's, if it's not, that's perfectly fine. We do welcome each of you here this evening. We also welcome those who are watching online. If you're watching live, we'd love to invite you to visit with us if you're in this area. And if you're watching from afar, we'd love for you to take to the opportunity to look for a congregation in your area that uh, fits the model that we talked about tonight, the congregation of the New Testament uh, and a following the matter of, of the model of the New Testament church. You know, it's been interesting over time to watch the development of what God has created. And some things we just don't understand until we sit down and really think about it and we start looking at it a little bit. I wish Siri was here tonight. Uh, she is not here, but she is the subject of one of the things that I want to talk about, and that is brotherly love and godly love. She's gone tonight uh, in uh, Muleshoe, Texas. Her best friend from college days, best friend from high school days, passed away yesterday. And so she wanted to be there because his parents, or her parents, excuse me, were still alive. And they had lost now both a daughter and a son. And Siri wanted to be there for the uh, Sherry's family to be there. So what she shows tonight is godly love. And that's what we all show, and that's what we all look for. And still sometimes we just don't quite get what God is trying to say to us. Y'all ever get the feeling that that you don't understand exactly what God's saying? Some of us do. And that's simply because we haven't listened quite hard enough. We want to talk about what God has done ever since the uh, early days of creation. And that gives us a pretty good idea of exactly what He expects of us today. You think about it, when God first created Adam and Eve, how did He communicate with them? Just walked and talked with them. He was their friend. He could talk to them in the cool of the evening and walk and talk with them. And, and they were partners. They were friends. They were fantastic family. But something separated them that caused God to pull away just a little bit from His presence. And that something was what separates all of us from God, and that is sin. And in Eve's case, and in Adam's case as well, they both broke God's commandments. God expects us to be holy. He expects us to be obedient. He expects us to love Him. And that's where I think we need to look at as a church and what we expect from our leaders. Uh, leaders uh, not only in the pulpit, but the eldership, the deacons, the classroom teachers, everyone that we work with should show the love of God. And I want to talk about that and, and shock, talk about it, about how McDermott Road strives to have that uh, that type of feeling, that type of emotion with each of our family members here at, the, at this congregation. So since the early days of creation, uh, God has uh, worked very hard to show His love for mankind. Uh, we talked about the, the pain and suffering that uh, all of us or run into, all of us have experienced, when we fall out of grace with, uh, with God, when we fall out of uh, love with His commandments. Uh, you see that from time to time in people who you know as fellow Christians that walk away from God. 
And that's part of our job as members of God's congregation is to bring people back to God when they've fallen away, to let them know that we love them, let them know that we're just like they are, that we have times that we don't work along with God's way. And knowing that God is there for us is, is awesome. Put yourself in God's place. You've worked really hard to prove to mankind that you can take care of Him, that you love Him, that you care for Him. You want to walk side by side. And then they go eat from the tree of the knowledge of good and evil, the only thing you told Him not to do. When you think about it, there wasn't hardly anything else that Adam and Eve could do that was against God's commandments, but they did it. That's part of the challenge that we've seen in our relationships with God. Sometimes there's not a whole lot of things that, that separate us from God, but there's some things. Sometimes it's stubbornness. Sometimes it's uh, greed. Sometimes it's just, I don't want to go to church Sunday morning. Part of those things simply talk to, about our love to God. And God's love to us is always there. Our love to Him is what we need to pay attention to. You know, during the following years after Adam and Eve left the Garden of Eden, we went through the patriarchal times and we went through the Mosaic times. And in all those times, God was right there with His leaders, right there with His people, trying to teach them to do what He wanted them to do, to teach them love, to teach them everything they needed to know about life. If you go through all the times that he spent, you go through the times that he spent with Abraham and Isaac and Jacob and all of the people in the patriarchal time trying to teach them how they were to be loved. And even before that time period, he sat down with Noah and his family and said, Noah, and you're the only righteous man around here that I know of. And Noah did a good job, as good as anybody could, about keeping his family together. Yet it, when he preached and taught from the, ark of the, from, from the ark that he was building, people just walked right on by. God says that they were just evil all the time, and the only one he could find that was even paying attention to him was Noah and his family. After that, man rebelled against God. And during that time period, you know, before, before that time period, I'm going to get off just a little bit here, during the time of the patriarchs and during the time of the, uh, uh, of the Mosaic Age, God did a lot of teaching. He did a lot of things for mankind that maybe we take for granted, but he looked at the responsibilities. He started talking to people about their responsibilities and what they were supposed to be doing, uh, taught them uh, how to eat, what to eat, how to prepare it. He taught them cleanliness. He taught them how to protect themselves from diseases. Let's move over to the next slide, if you would. There we go. He taught them the, how to season, how to interpret the seasons, how to look at the stars and determine what was coming next get, to get a good idea of what, the, the, uh, what part of the year they were in. He uh, taught them how to care for their fellow man, taught them how to protect themselves from their enemies. Uh, he taught them the power of his love for them. And then he also taught them their responsibilities to him and to the neighbors around them. There's a lot of teaching during those years. And during the time of Noah, he taught them those things, and yet the people rebelled against that. If we go on to the next slide, about that man rebelled. God sent a flood, and that flood was to tell each of us 
not in only in Noah's time, but also in the, in the many years and years since then, that our responsibility is to follow him and to love him and to love mankind. Yet, it didn't work in Noah's day, so God wiped out everybody except Noah and his family. And then he started all over, started working with Abraham and started working with his family and his, uh, I guess I'd say his uh, sons, his daughters. Don't think I remember a daughter of his. I know he had a couple of sons. I think that later on he did have a daughter. I'll have to go back and read that again. But I know that he started with Isaac and started uh, growing his family there. And a few years later, there was a group of those folks that uh, belonged to the, to the family of Joseph and Jacob that went to Egypt. And God protected them. There was just a handful of them. God protected them for 400 years. And at the time that they were becoming enslaved by the Egyptian leaders, God finally sent Moses in to rescue them. But that still didn't show them the love that they should have seen. It was God's love all the time that was keeping them safe. It was God's love that protected them while they were in Egypt. It was God's love that brought them out. And it didn't take long for mankind under those circumstances to turn their will against God again. We remember the time in the uh, deserts, the many times that they turned their back on God. They complained about not having water, complained about not having food. I don't know, guys, if the food was provi provided for me every day and I didn't have to look for it, I probably wouldn't gripe too much. Maybe the type of food they wanted was not exactly what they were getting. But in circumstances like that, God expected that mankind would be grateful that they were saved from the Egyptian regime, that they were safe, but man rebelled again. And God sent them into captivity that time. Once that's happened, it made it a real tough situation for God to look at and understand why people kept rebelling against him and why they couldn't love him the way they did. Well, the way they did in the times of the Garden of Eden. Where did that relationship go? All the men and women had an opportunity to love them. And, you know, that still continues today. Sometimes we look at the, at the people that we live with in the Christian dispensation and we wonder, does God still love us? Yes, he does. How do we teach that to other people around us? How do we teach them that we love them and that God loves them and that we all should be loving God? If we go to the next slide... We'll see that God sent Jesus uh, as our Savior. And you know, he, what can I say? The scriptures say it themselves. It says, what greater love is there than for a man to lay down his life for another? And as Jesus prepared his ministry and taught his people and taught the apostles and taught the disciples, he kept telling them that he would no longer be with them at one time. And he kept telling them, preparing them for the, the events that were to come. And if we look at the Christian, Christian dispensation, we start learning a little bit more about God's love for mankind and Jesus' love for us. The um, night before he died, Jesus showed us one of the most heart-touching uh, convictions that mankind will ever know. If you remember, he sat down with his his apostles 
He talked about the death that he would have. He talked about the deception, the betrayal that he was going through. But he didn't do that in a way in which he asked for uh, sympathy. He just simply said, I'm going to have to go through this. You guys are going to have to be tough. And they still didn't understand what Jesus was talking about. John 13.1 gives us a really good story about uh, what Jesus was talking about there. It says the, uh, in 13.1, Now before the feast of the Passover, when Jesus knew that his hour had come to depart out of this world to the Father, having loved his own who were in the world, he loved them to the end. He knew that they were going to go through pain. He knew they were going to go through suffering. He told them so that his leaving this earth was not going to end their challenges. He knew they were going to go through heavier challenges. He knew some of them would die. He knew some of them would be crucified. He knew that some of them would be uh, martyred while they were teaching God and Jesus and the love that they have. And yet he decided that this was part of what their ministry would be. And you and I today, we've got it pretty soft. We don't have nearly the punishment. There are people in other parts of this world that uh, tonight are not even sure that they're going to survive some of the persecutions in their own country simply because they have a Bible app on their phones, simply because they have a Sunday worship service in their house. Today, we don't have that kind of a challenge. Today, there are people that will put up with those things so they can be closer to God. And I'm not criticizing this. I'm just simply saying there are plenty of people around that are persecuted and we should be thankful. Unlike some of those folks back in Egypt that whined and complained about the food that they were getting as they left the land of Egypt, or those that complained while they were in Egypt about the work that they were having to do because they had to go get their own straw, there are a lot of things that we complain about. And I think part of that is because we really don't understand God's love and how much He's given to us. In John, the 13th chapter, verses 31, uh, 33 through 35, Jesus said, A new commandment I give you, that you love one another just as I have loved you. You also are to love one another. By this, all people will know that you are my disciples if you have love for one another. That's really the point that I wanted to get to to start talking about the New Testament church. A New Testament congregational governance model. What did God set up? All this time, from the time of creation until the crucifixion of Christ, God was preparing for the New Testament church. We see the history of God loving mankind, even though they griped and complained. We see the history of God loving man, mankind even though they deliberately broke laws that he said it's as simple. You just don't eat from this tree. And they did. It's very simple. You don't kill your brother. And they did. So many times I, I can't imagine how God must feel. I feel disdain. And yet I look at it and realize I've done the same thing. I've done things that God said, don't do that, Mike. And yet I expect that God's going to forgive me because he's always forgiven mankind. 
When we work here with our brothers and sisters in this congregation, when we work with people that, that are close to us, and yet we see that some of their actions aren't exactly godly, how do we react? Probably a little bit more um, oh, disdainful than what we, we would in other cases if that was our son or our daughter that was giving us that challenge. But it's difficult sometimes for us to be open-minded, for us to uh, evaluate other people in light of what we think God does. It's hard for us to see inside their lives, to see inside what they do and how they react. What is nice about being a Christian is the fact that we know we're in a community of people who believe in God, who love God, and that's how the congregation should work as a New Testament congregation uh, in the governance of God. Looking at that option, one of the most important teachings that we will find is as kind of a restatement of what we just read in Matthew the 22nd chapter verses 36 through 40. Remember Jesus was asked what is the most important law? They were trying to trap him. They were trying to get him to make a comment and try to get some ideas about uh, you know, how they could hold things against him. But they tried to ask the question, what's the most important law? And Jesus was very upfront about it. He says there's no question about it. Love the Lord your God with all your heart with all your soul, and with all your mind. This is the first and greatest commandment. And the second is like it. Love your neighbor as yourself. All of the laws and prophets hang upon these two commandments. So if there's one thing that God wants more than anything else, it's for us to learn to love Him like He loves us. And that's what sparks the comments that we'll make from this point forward for the rest of the night regarding the governance of a Christian congregation and how it should be run and how it should be ordained, how it should be ordered. God set those things up. He talked about the love up front. He's talked about it ever since creation. He's shown it ever since creation. And in that vein, we as Christians need to respond and understand that we first of all have to love God and love our neighbors. Now, what does that look like? We know what loving God looks like. That's obedience. That's being here. That's being attentive uh, attentive to His Word. But what does it look like to love our neighbor? Is that something that means, hey, we just go over and help them every once in a while, take a meal to them? Or is that something that says, hey, we just simply love you. We need to talk to you. One of the comments I heard here a couple of uh, weeks ago uh, was it was a broadcast that I think was on Focus on the Family. They were talking about the one thing, the one thing that we can do to show our greatest love for mankind, for any man, is to share the gospel with him. And that's true. It's not easy to share the gospel when you don't know someone. You're afraid of rejection. You think they might turn down what you have to say, but you know, they're not turning you down. They're simply making a choice for themselves in their relationship with God. And if they're never invited, then whose fault is that? One of the biggest things that we can do to show God that we love Him is to show people that we love them. That's the greatest gift we can give them is giving them God, giving them 
the access to the grace that God is going to give us. So as a congregation that wants to serve God, we have to be willing to do that. We have to be also willing to be strict and stern. Sometimes it's easy to walk past sin as you see it. Sometimes you see it in your own family. Sometimes you see it in people that are close to you. And you walk by and you don't want to hurt their feelings by saying something about that. Now I'm not talking about picking on their personal behavior or personal habits. I'm talking about the way that they treat others. You see this all the time on Facebook. You see it on Twitter. You see it uh, you know, on all of the other social media places. How people stand up and say crazy things that uh, you look at and say, I would never say that to somebody. And yet that does happen. How do we foster a feeling among ourselves that would show everyone in this church that I'm not like that. I'm not that person. I wouldn't say those things about you to your back. I'd never say it to your face. The way that we control that is by loving others. So that's what I want to get into for the rest of the lesson is the love that we have, that we show others when we obey God's will. It's easy to go back and look at the things that, um, that have happened in the past and say, well, that should have never happened. Uh, that behavior is bad. We shouldn't have done it. He shouldn't have done it. She shouldn't have done it. And yet John, 1 John, 1 John 5, 1 through 4, talks about those people that believe in Jesus, talks about what we should do, and that is everyone who believes that Jesus is the Christ has been born of God. And everyone who loves the Father also loves to be born of Him. By this we know that we love the children of God. When we love God and keep His commandments, for this is the love of God that we keep His commandments. No question about it. Do we love God? If we do, we're going to keep His commandments. If we love God, we will share with our neighbors. We will take them the, the uh, word to them, but they'll also will also share in their needs. We see this routinely here at McDermott. It's amazing to me how much love that I do see here. I've been in congregations, I think all of us have, in which there was a lack of love. But in a congregation that shares with you every week that we love you. I know Wes does this every time he gets up to preach. I appreciate that, Wes. But I know that also we see that in the actions of our uh, teaching. A lot of times you'll see some of the teachers that go to the nth degree to try to to produce the information that, that would be helpful and would be beneficial in guiding our lives. I know that we see this in our youth department. We have men that work side by side, day in and day out, not just to teach the scriptures, but to teach love, uh, to get involved in the lives of, of the young men and women that they're ministering to, to help them to understand that God is there for them. Because it's a tough challenge sometimes walking through the streets just like Noah did, trying to preach to people, trying to live a life that is godly without getting criticism. And I guess our kids at, church, at uh, school get that uh, challenge just like we did. I don't know how many of you have had that uh, feeling that you were kind of singled out because you believed in God. But I know a lot of us have had that feeling that we were a little bit different and maybe weren't respected like we thought we should have been because we believed in something that somebody else didn't. 
And yet that's what God calls us to do, to believe in something that our neighbors are not willing to, and yet give them that gift that God has given us. As we talk about love, and as we talk about the New Testament model for governing a church, we need to first of all talk about who we are as individuals, who we are as, as uh, workers in the congregation. All of us have, have uh, at one time, read over the uh, description of an elder and who they're supposed to be. That We've read over the descriptions of, of deacons. We've read over the uh, expectation of what people that are working in the line of ministry are expected to do. And God deals with this in so many different ways. I read an article here a couple of days ago by uh, Stafford North that he talked about the different uh, ways that we look at things and how we you know, how we decide whether or not this is expected of God, of God or whether he expects us to do certain things. How does he guide us through, uh, through this turmoil of, of chaos that we live in? You know, we know that we have direct commands. You can read through that in the, in the uh, uh, Bible. You'll read about the commands of who, you, who you're supposed to pick up and, and, and follow, who you're supposed to work with. He'll give you some ideas, you know, in terms of how we're supposed to work with one another. God was no uh, respecter of man. When he had Paul talk to Timothy and write to him concerning the elders and the, men and the deacons, he was point blank. This is what I want you to do. And in the elders and overseers committee, uh, you'll find in 1 Timothy 3, 7, uh, 1 through 7, that the elder is supposed to be someone who is uh, aspires to the office of overseer, desires a noble work. He must be an overseer that is above reproach, the husband of one wife, sober-minded, self-controlled, respectable, hospitable, able to teach, not a drunkard, not violent, but gentle, not quarrelsome, not a lover of money. He must manage his own household well and with all dignity keep his children submissive. For if someone does not know how to manage his own household, how will he know how to care for, the ch for God's church? He must not be a recent convert, he, or he may be puffed up with conceit and fall into condemnation of the devil. Moreover, he must be well thought of by the outsiders so that he may not fall into disgrace into the snare of the devil. Now that's a pretty good description of what God wants. When you see that as, as a written uh, dialogue of what we should be, then you have to go back and ask, is that what we're trying to do? You see so many different uh, religious uh, uh, events, or not events, but uh, groups that call their uh, some of the folks elders. They, you look at it and you say, well, gee, man, that, that guy's not even 25 years old. How does he get to be called an elder? You see people in different religious groups that are uh, preaching and teaching the word that really don't seem like they've got any idea of what they're teaching, haven't quoted a scripture. You see people on uh, uh, the uh, some of the major networks preaching to thousands and thousands of people that may not quote more than one scripture in their whole message. How is it that we've accepted that as being the leader of God's people? 
I know that if we started picking on things, we would find people that, religious organizations that are just simply torn asunder because of their disregard for God's laws. And probably each of us have, over time, been a member of a congregation that split or that divided simply because of personal beliefs that didn't go hand in hand with what, what God uh, planned for us. So as an overseer, we expect each of the men working as overseers or elders to follow these exact guidelines on how to conduct their lives and how to work with them. And if you look back in just a few more verses down there, in verses 8 through 13, Paul is willing to tell Timothy exactly what needs to be done uh, as he appoints uh, uh, deacons in the congregations. In the deacons, the duties and, and every, uh, their expectations are listed here. And I'm not going to go through all of those things. We've all read them. But what God is saying through Paul is that, Paul, I need you to make sure that Timothy understands how he's supposed to help set up a church. Timothy was a young man. He wasn't as wise as what uh, we would like to think. He was good. He was trained. He was serving God. But Paul felt it necessary to pass on what God had passed on to him. And I think that's a fantastic opportunity for us to learn exactly what God wants us to do. He wants us to have leaders in the church that will pay attention to godly things that will serve God in a godly manner. And I think that's where we have been extremely blessed uh, for years. This congregation has been best blessed with men who are deacons who do a fantastic job and you can't imagine all the different ministries that they do. I, I look forward to talking about that here in just a few seconds because there are some fantastic works that go on. But you can't have an elder or an overseer that doesn't love God. And our, you can't have a deacon that doesn't love God. You can't have a minister that doesn't love God. Love is the part of it that makes all of us shine. It's the part of us that makes us true to God. It's the way that we show our devotion to God is by loving Him and keeping His commandments. So when we look at the overall uh, model of a godly church, we ask ourselves the questions, do we have an eldership that loves God and the people? Do we have deacons that love God and their ministries? Do we have ministers that love God and the people? And right now, I think that's one of our strengths, one of our things that God has blessed us with is that we have people in all those positions that are trying to serve God and doing the very best they can. That goes well beyond elders and teachers and ministers and um, deacons. It goes out to the teachers in our classrooms. You can't imagine how difficult it is to teach a group of three-year-olds now, Mark and Laura can tell you how difficult it is to teach three-year-olds. That's a tough challenge. You'd think, well, just go through the lesson and they would sit down and listen. No, they don't. They're three years old. They're not going to sit down for anything. You can't imagine how difficult it is if you haven't done this in years to teach a 13-year-old. Well, 13-year-olds would sit down and listen. No, they don't. How difficult it is it to get an adult to prepare for Sunday morning's lesson. 
It's going to be on Ezekiel. Everybody should be up to, up to date on that one, right? No, we're not. We're human beings. We work with human beings. We work with people who have daily lives that keep them from studying like they want, yet they want to study. Keep them from being here, and yet they want to be here. God is probably the best encourager that anybody will ever see, and yet we're to be like God. If we're going to lead a congregation, we're going to teach them God's love by the way we act and by the way we show uh, God's love. And the best way to do that is just simply staying in touch with Him, praying with Him, talking to Him every night, reading His Word, teaching the Gospels, reaching out and touching those who love Him in a way that they will remember. Ephesians six and ten, excuse me, Ephesians two and ten talks about some of the things that all of us dream of and yet don't quite accomplish in our in our life with God. For we are his workmanship, created in Christ Jesus, for good works which God prepared beforehand that we should walk in them. I don't know of any of us that want to be known for our bad works. We want to be known for our good works. And that's one of the blessings that we have here in this congregation is having so many things that we can do to serve God. How many of you have been in, in a congregation that had less than 50 people? Anybody? Okay. That's kind of tough because usually you're going to have a tough time getting enough volunteers to even have a cookout. It's going to be real tough to get somebody to be involved in evangelism in a small congregation because you don't have that camaraderie that, that you work with, that you get that encouragement from. But then you get into a congregation that's really large, unless they have a good active ministry program developed, that's going to be pretty hard too to get something off of dead center. What I love about McDermott Road is that we have so many people involved in so many different things. I can't keep up with them. Can't keep up with what's being done. Try to. We'd love to. But sometimes it's just very, very difficult to do that. So the governance that we have of having an eldership that cares and loves the folks, we're not perfect. We never will be perfect. But through God and our love for Him, we will be perfect. The deacons, they're awful good. They're not perfect. But because of what they do, they show their love for God. They will be perfect through, through God, through the blood of Christ. The teachers, my goodness gracious guys, have 15 or 20 little four-year-olds running around or seven-year-olds running around or 60 teenagers running around. That takes a lot of patience. They may not be perfect, but they're there standing in and teaching simply because they love God and they love those kids. There's a lot of things that are difficult in this life, but you know, there's a lot of things that God has given us, a lot of power, a lot of strength He's given us to teach people and to bring people closer to God. We have a great number of ministries here. And a ministry basically is simply a group of people doing a work that God has set before us. And those ministries need leaders. 
We've got a lot of leaders in a lot of different ministries. We could always use more. We've got a lot of ministries that need extra people. Right now, The uh, I don't know how many of you have been involved with World Bible School. I'm not near as involved as what I want to be or should have been. But it is that, that whole program has been revamped over the last year to a point that it's very, very productive. And there are people out there today that are asking for one of us to get involved in ministering to them. That's where we should be, and that's easy enough to do. There are plenty of opportunities for us to help with the Thrive ministry. Scott and Stewart has been working real hard. There's several others that are working with them in reaching out and touching those folks who have struggled over the years in terms of having the food to eat, clothing, things like that, and yet they've worked very hard. They have a ministry that works with them. They're asking for help. And that's what we are good at. But we still have more people needing help than we have helping. The governance that we had, I wrote this up the other night. At McDermott Road, we have a great number of ministries that serve the needs of members of this congregation and our neighbors in the community and the world abroad. And we do that. From Haiti, from Haiti to uh, Nicaragua to South Texas, uh, in past years to Honduras, uh, serving people all over the nation, all over the world. We have that opportunity to do that. And we have a lot of members right now that I can see in this congregation that have been in some of those works uh, in Estonia and different places throughout the world. So we definitely have the works. We definitely have the people that are doing that. That's part of a Christian congregation. Each ministry that we have has a leader that's under the oversight of one or more of the elders. Many times that that, uh, ministry leader is a deacon, sometimes not. But each of them are responsible to one or two of the elders to report what they need, to report where they are. It's a wonderful way to, to be organized. I left out one part, and I sure didn't mean to, but this congregation also has, uh, well, it's coming up on the next page, God's example of ministers. When you look at the ministers and the evangelists that we see in the Bible, there's a bunch of them. And you think about all the good works that they did. You think about Timothy going out and at the direction of Paul and helping to strengthen congregations to appoint leaders. You think about Apollos who was willing to teach and bring others closer to God. Think about Stephen who was stoned for his belief because he didn't want to give up Jesus Christ. You think about Barnabas who encouraged people who had gone through all sorts of trouble. You think about Paul who caused some trouble before he got saved and yet was willing to turn around and work the rest of his life to prove that he loved God and to show God his love and to show his, his family his love. We have ministers like that. Do you know that? We do. We have ministers, and I'm not going to embarrass any of them, but we have ministers that work with our families who struggle keeping things together. We have ministers that work with our youth who struggle to get going in the right direction. We have ministers that help us to point our way closer to God. 
All of these are things that I think are part of an important congregation, an important outreach unit for God's will throughout this world. The McDermott Road Eldership oversees the work of each of our ministers, each of our evangelists, each of our missionaries that we support throughout the congregation. We also participate in the teaching and ministering of the congregation, not near to the degree that our ministers and, and uh, uh, servants do, but in ways that uh, we believe are what God wants us to do. And as an eldership, we believe it's our responsibility to develop leaders in the church following the example set in the New Testament church. A couple of our former elders have been teaching our young men in classes, teaching them how to learn, those that volunteered, teaching them to learn how to serve God and preparing them for eldership, preparing them for deaconship. That's an awesome thing. We have younger kids, younger boys and girls, that are being taught to be Christians through LTC and through, through uh, and I apologize, guys. I'm trying to come up with the name of what? All right. You have to yell louder. All right. Bible Bowl and, and the um, uh, things that we work through that. Literally hundreds of kids every year or two that go through and start learning the Bible. Left, you know, it, that doesn't just happen. It's through guidance. We have members that take care of the benevolence, so work with people who don't really know how to make a living, and they're struggling. I guess what I'm saying is that this congregation is one of the most phenomenal congregations I've been around. I've loved it since we started with them. Does that mean that other people are not as exciting, not as loved by God? No. It just means that anybody can get to where we are in our love for God, and yet we still have a bunch to go. We need more people. To this end, this eldership supports the biblical male spiritual servant leadership in our church, in our homes, through consistent visible example, teaching development programs, use of clear terminology in our in our communication and avoiding confusing practices in the congregation and the governance of that wherever possible and through direct engagement and encouragement of the men and boys in this congregation. Now that might sound like we're singling them out, but we're not. We're simply following God's will that we teach our young men to be leaders in the family, to be leaders in the church, and to be leaders in the world. But he didn't stop there, did he? We also realize the importance of the training and supporting the women for the work that God has set aside for them in the New Testament. We're committed to developing strong families who can and who are willing to raise their children as Christians, Christians who will love and want to please God as He has commanded. We are committed in this endeavor because we love the Father. We also love those born of Him. Just like Jesus said, we need to love God. We need to love those that are putting their trust in God, that are here trying to develop, trying to learn more of what God wants us to be like, and are willing to put our lives on the line. We don't have to serve but to put our lives on the line very often. 
We sometimes may feel like uh, people are going to put us down a little bit, but you know, that's just a pretty mild thing. What we have to do is to show God's love, to step up and let our brother know how much we love him for what they do, let our brother know how much they, they do to encourage us. And the last page up here, let's bring that last page up and let's see, there we go. Ministries, there's no way I can count them all. I just stopped after I got a page full. We have leadership classes for men. We have teaching, training, development uh, ministries for men. We have a men's ministry, a women's ministry, marriage mentoring, dynamic marriage, divorce recovery, LTC, youth ministry, Bible bow. Somehow got missed out of there. Children's ministries. We have helping hands. We have life groups, benevolence ministries, brothers keepers ministries, mission ministries. We work in South Texas, Nicaragua, Bica, uh, Estonia, work in Haiti, Thrive, World Bible School. I could have listed at least another couple of pages of things that this congregation is a part of, things we're proud of, things that I think God looks at and says, thank you, you're doing a good job, but we still need to do more. We believe that the way this congregation is, is working together is what God wants us to do. We encourage each of you to feel comfortable sitting down with the elders at any time and talking to us about your concerns, talking to us about what your uh, view and what your thought process is for this congregation. We encourage you to sit down with the ministers and talk with them. We feel that God is on fire and looking at us and saying, keep moving, keep working. We're going to stop and cut off a little bit early tonight. We want to end this with a prayer. And ask God that he would continue to bless this congregation, to open our eyes to the potential that we have, and to continue to love each of our members here in a way that only this congregation can do. Let's go to God in prayer. God, we thank you for your love. We thank you for the expectation that you give us to love one another. We thank you for your guidance. We thank you for your support. Lord, we pray that this congregation, our fellow members here, and our fellow congregations around the world will continue to teach your word as you ask us to do. We'll continue to love others as you ask us to do. We'll continue to show our love to you as you expect us to do. And even more so, to show our love to you as you show yours to us. Lord, we thank you for the benefits that you've given us for being in a congregation that loves us, for being around men and women who are spiritually strong, for being around a group of youngsters that have a lot of goals, a lot of dreams, that have a lot of love for you. Lord, we thank you for the ones that bring their problems to us and ask us for help because that's how we learn and that's how you can teach us to want to do your will. We thank you for the opportunity to take our time and, our, and the finances that you've given us and contribute them back to you. But more than anything else, God, we thank you for the love you gave us when you put Christ on the cross and sacrificed his life so that we could have redemption of our sins and we could walk with you in eternity. Lord, help us to live our lives in such a way that you want us there as soon as possible. 
Help us to be your servants here on this earth and help us to never take lightly the expectations of what, that you've given us of how we should live our lives. It's through Christ we pray. Amen.